I mean, look, like obviously ag tech, supply chain, ESG are all very strong buzzwords these days. And luckily for us, we're kind of sitting right in the middle of all of that. And at the end of the day, right, if you look at, it's kind of interesting. So first and foremost, right, you've got, so for everyone to understand, like recording and reporting to the government every day on what you've done is the most restrictive and most difficult thing that's out there. Nobody makes you do that. But because you're doing that, right, that means there's a lot more data available because you're required to do it. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host Shada Taravi and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the To Be Blunt podcast. I'm your host, Shada Tarabi, cannabis business owner and brand marketer. Also, if you can't tell, my voice is super shot. I am on what is day five of MJ BizCon, MJ Unpacked. Currently sitting in my hotel room, waiting for dinner, overlooking the Vegas Strip, and just super exhausted, if I'm being really honest, but also really grateful, really excited for all the things that I was able to absorb, learn, the people I was able to meet, the parties I was able to attend, the brand activations that I was able to see. I think that was, whoa, like there needs to be like a whole freaking episode on these MJ BizCon brand activations. Like literally if you can just picture going to, especially for those of us in Austin, if you can picture going to like a South by Southwest party sponsored by like Amazon or the New York times, this was like sponsored by Puffco and there was like free dabs and all this like, you know, interesting aspects that you might see when you go to a food and beverage kind of event or like those aspects where it's like open bar. This was like an open cannabis bar. It was really, truly otherworldly. And like I said, I still haven't fully recovered. So unfortunately, this is the version of me that you are getting this Monday morning. So if you're on the struggle bus coming back from MJ BizCon, you are certainly not alone. Honestly, I'm recording this on a Friday and I I literally can't wait for Monday. Like I look forward to how I feel on Monday because I imagine it'll be a little bit better than how I'm feeling presently. But nonetheless, we progress on. And so, yeah, I will talk more about MJ Biz, MJ Unpacked in upcoming episodes. I did do some live recordings while I was here. So that's super fun. Can't wait to share those episodes with y'all and really just like take a chance to step away from the conference and really digest everything that happened to me. I'm still in the Vegas high, definitely pun intended, but transitioning into today's episode is a gentleman who I think our conversation will really inform, delight, and challenge you. Because my guest, Peter Hewson, he is the COO of Backbone. Backbone is a, for all intents and purposes, a data tracking company that helps basically businesses understand the seed to sale process and all the different intervals, you know, kind of how things are working. How is their cultivation going? And what is that data reporting? How is retail going? And what's that data reporting? So it can give the business that insight to better prepare themselves to make smarter decisions, smarter calls and create and innovate and build that brand forward. So definitely don't want to take away from obviously the function of what Backbone does, 
But I think Peter has a really interesting kind of, you know, side life, if you will, although I'm sure he doesn't think that he puts them in buckets or separates them. But it was definitely interesting information for me to learn that aside from Peter being the chief operating officer of Backbone, he is also the co-founder of Northern Nights Music Festival, which is a very popular electronic music festival that takes place in California. And even more so, the reason that that is super relevant But sidebar, for those of you who do know this or don't know this about me, my background prior to getting into cannabis was technology. And prior to getting into technology, I was in the music industry in Austin. And so live music and experiential marketing is something that it's my language. It's literally like the thing that I think I correlate that to brand marketing because branding to me is so much about the experience. But like really, if you're wanting to get into the nitty gritty of like where I really fell in love with my passion for marketing, it was live music. It was like, How do I feel when I go to this concert and what is the aspect? What is the sound? What is the lights? What is the design, the decor, the stage decorations? Like what is, what does all that come together to make me feel like, wow, how did I feel when I was listening to this band have this live set? So that's always resonated with me. And even though I don't work in live music, I definitely believe that cannabis is what kind of created that bridge for me because it's no secret cannabis and music go hand in hand. So when I learned that Peter was the co-founder of this music festival, that made me even more interested in just like getting to pick his brain because I think that there's so many ways to be in the cannabis industry, of course. And so to me, like live music and also data and technology don't always overlap. So if you're also like interesting, then keep listening because Peter is a wealth of knowledge, but I don't want to steal his thunder. He'll talk about it a little bit more in the episode. But basically, while he was at Northern Nights, he helped establish and change law in the state of California that allowed for Northern Nights to be the first music festival to allow cannabis consumption on property, on premise. And now that is something that has influenced a few other events in California and has just opened up the dialogue and the opportunity for on-premise consumption. And it might be something that you're like, whoa, I didn't even know that we couldn't have that. Or wait, we don't have that in my state. Like, how do I establish that law? Peter kind of touches on how he went through that, you know, process to establish, to be able to step into a position to help make that, you know, influence happen and ultimately change the law so that you can't consume cannabis on premise at a concert, listening to your favorite brand and creating more of that continued brand experience. So again, super excited to have Peter on the show. We touch on a wide range of basically everything I just shared, but you'll get to hear it from Peter. So let's just welcome Peter to the show. My name is Peter Houston. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Backbone Software. I've got a few other hats that I wear. I uh, am the co-founder of a music festival called Northern Nights Music Festival. Also co-founded a cannabis business park in Southern Humboldt, Northern Mendocino. So working on a few different aspects and they do all tie together on the cannabis side of things. Well, let's kind of kick off, you know, from that perspective, I think when I was reading your profile, definitely want to get into backbone since that's kind of the primary hat you wear, but maybe we'll touch on that in a little bit. I want to hear about your experience of music one, because I come from the live music background myself being here in Austin, you know, we tout ourselves as the live music capital of the world. I often share that, you know, cannabis and music is really where I found my, you know, happiness. That's really where I found my happiness and love for the cannabis plant and the extent of, you know, you listen to good music and you smoke some bud and everybody feels great and it makes the music more enjoyable. So kind of, you know, what is that journey? I mean, you also have a PhD. 
how did you get into live music and what are some of the things that you saw were maybe missing from the live music experience that you were able to introduce cannabis into and what that has done for live music from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? I mean, how do we all start, right? We started by us, you know, smoking in the car and bumping some beats louder. Always been very into music, specifically kind of pride myself. And, you know, one of my favorite things, well, when we had CDs back in the day is when you'd get in one of your friend's cars, like, you know, that you haven't seen in a while and they're still slapping the CD that you gave them like a year ago. Like right? the best like mixtape. It's like my favorite. It's like one of your, you know, e- ego hits, right? When that happens. But yeah, I mean, it all really was just started that enjoying that, right? Hosting parties, whether it's at your parents' house or whatnot. And then kind of, you know, always I went to school as an engineer, but, you know, I was always extroverted, I think is the best way to put it. So I, you know, consistently was hosting events, got into promoting. I mean, you know, we were doing shows in San Francisco. We had Grizz sleep on our couch and do his laundry at our house, right? Like back in the day. So it's always kind of tried to be on like the forefront of on the music side. And at the same time, right, it goes hand in hand with being with your buddies and smoking weed. And to be honest, it's also cannabis has been something that's slow to help like slow down the noise in the mind a little bit sometimes there's a a lot going on and it kind of settles things down and gives you a little bit perspective on things so i think that's natural for for many folks and yeah i mean school great college great grad school great did a lot of interesting work there but a lot of like defense work and not necessarily i'd say uh, making the world a better place and so you know on that end I think that you know you can go through all the motions and people tell you you're supposed to do things and you're good at certain things and at the end of the day, right, what's the meaning of what you're contributing to this world right now, right, and, and to the people around you. And so, you know, what really gets me happy is when you've got people, you know, dancing to music, and especially if, you know, you're able to provide that venue for them. And so I think that's kind of what led up to, I don't know, for whatever reason, there was a checkbox in life that I needed to throw the biggest party possible. And so we started that in 2013, built it very organically, lost our ass too many times. As one person said in the music industry, right, it's kind of like compulsive gambling. And so I went through that. We actually were lucky enough, since we're in Northern California, Emerald Triangle, we really got lucky in terms of the Emerald Cup and that team from Mendocino. We kind of all, they took us under their wing. They were connected with uh, Corin Capshaw and the Red Light and Star Hill Presents group, which I'm sure C3, you know, very well. Corin, Robbie, Jim Louie. Pat and that team kind of took us under their wing as independent promoters and said, hey, this is you guys are the type of people we'd like to support. And I really appreciate the way in which Corin and his team, they look out for those independent folks. So they really came in and gave us kind of the shot in the arm and the boost that we needed to kind of excel. And that really kind of at the end of it, come 2018 and not the end of it, but the sixth year of it, we're sitting there and, you know, legalization has kind of come to the table here in California. We had kind of connected with a lot of the operators in cannabis just from being in the region. You can't be up there and turn a blind eye to what's powering that economy at that time. And so, you know, engaging, understanding what was needed up there. And at the end of the day, right, having folks like myself who are, I can handle the government relations, I can handle the cops, I can handle the board of supervisors, I can deal with all the people that they don't want to deal with. So it was kind of a natural thing where they said, hey, I see you getting permits for this music festival in Mendocino and Humboldt. Like, you help me get these weed permits? And I said, that sounds interesting. And, you know, there's more of the challenge there, right? Fighting for water rights, right? Fighting for 
trying to get a handle on, you know, what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do and how to go ahead and, you know, not manipulate things. But at the end of the day, like you can really understand what they're like, what's the intent of what they're trying to say and ensure that you're kind of following that intent. And so started getting licenses for folks, started getting myself deeper entrenched into the industry. And it was way too interesting not to become an operator. I think, as you probably mentioned earlier, it's kind of you get sucked into it and you're like, okay, like this is the culture that in a lot of ways, right, we're fighting for from a counterculture standpoint, right? We've been doing that in music and cannabis since the beginning. So, yeah, and, you know, that's what really started to get my interest in what was happening. California was really progressive in doing this event permit for cannabis events, right? And that really stemmed from the Emerald Cup and High Times having those, you know, 215 vendor villages and whatnot. And so the way we kind of looked at it, though, was, well, you know, and this is where I get into what was the intent. Was the intent to do that? Well, we said, no, why don't we actually turn that into a run in a concessionaire model? And so we helped pass a bill in California that allowed it to be, you know, be held at private events. And, you know, in 2019, we held a four-day, 8,000-person camping festival. Finally got Zoo. I've been trying to get Zoo forever. I was like, I remember... I love Zoo. I remember 20... I was looking at my emails, right, in 2013, and there was two that I was like, Zoo and Major Laser. I still haven't gotten Zoo and Major Laser, but that'll be down the road. I want an invite when that event is going down. Major Laser is my number one. I'm putting it out in the universe. Me too. I mean, I, you know, but I've been following Diplo and that whole thing since the Mad Decent days and that whole kind of just like, and that's what I'm, I kind of feel like somewhat like proud of Major Laser in terms of like, they came from that like really hard streets, like counter, I don't know if I can swear on this, but F everybody, like we're going to do whatever the hell we want, right? And to see that all of a sudden on the other side come out on top where the entire world is dancing to that beat, right, is really powerful. And so I think intention wise, it's kind of just like standing up for the little guy, standing up for what you believe in. And at the end of the day, just the man's trying to tell you you can't do something like do you're going to do everything that you can and say, yes, I can. Absolutely. No, I love that story. I think it's so one insightful just for listeners to understand, obviously, you know, like you had all these different skill sets and and passions and kind of like things that you were, you know, cultivating, no pun intended, but obviously also the the geography for which you were existing in and operating in was also just like super hyper focused on cannabis. And like you highlighted, it's, you know, the economy was just so driven by that influence. And so being able to take these passions and kind of find yourself in a position to like kind of translate it and distill it into being able to speak mm-hmm. the language of understanding like okay, you know, I like music, I like cannabis, but hey, we do have to navigate and deal with the law. And then being able to go in and help pass a bill that's going to make it possible for not only your business to succeed from that capacity of being able to introduce consuming on the property of the music festival, but obviously that has so many other reverb effects in terms of being able, I mean, like you go to anywhere on social media with a cannabis brand in California, and they're talking about consumption events, they're talking about being able to do this kind of, you know, opportunity of bringing the plant obviously to the people in a quote unquote legal way where people can actually enjoy the plant on the premise, which is something that, you know, for us here in Texas, we obviously don't have in that capacity. And I think even other legal states are struggling still. I think Nevada is just now kind of working mm-hmm. on consumption lounges. And I've heard of kind of some onesie twosie kind of things, maybe in Colorado here or there, but it's still such a new thing that again, I try to 
I don't know, highlight these stories because people don't really hear or understand that like they, they just don't realize like you can't do certain things. Like I think from a tourist perspective, right? People assume and for all of us listening or especially myself, like you go to a music festival, you consume cannabis, whether it's legal or not, but obviously to, you know, want to be able to do it legally and have that opportunity to embrace it, not only for consuming, but kind of the way that you approached it, you were able to bring concessions. Can you explain a little bit more about what that is? That's like actually being able to sell cannabis Mm -hmm. on the property and being able to make transactions, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Look, like, then it's funny, right? Because then, you know, it's especially the press, right? It's like when they ask, I, I remember in the beginnings too, like you, the press wants to ask and they're saying, well, you know, well, how are you going to handle, you know, that area between the weed garden and the beer garden where people have drank and, you know, maybe they've smoked, what are you going to do? And it's like, my answer is like, it's a music festival. Like, well, how do you want me to answer that question, right? <laughs> Since the dawn of time, exactly. like somehow the government and everybody else has said, Oh, it's a music festival, right? And yes, it's on the promoters to, you know, they are supposed to be regulating and everything else. But at the end of the day, you think about it, it's kind of cool that everyone kind of says, oh, it's just a music festival, right? Like, I mean, think about it. You could be rated any music festival at any time, right? I could just say, nope, there's all of that happening there. And, you know, culture almost wins in that sense, right? And that they say, okay, you can do whatever you need. But on that same token, I'd say like, there's the, I'll answer your concessions question, but I kind of want to get back to kind of the intent of it, right? It's like, sure, you can bring your own weed into somewhere. Sure, you can do your own thing. And I think it's more of the novelty of saying that, hey, there's a new concoction. There is a new rosin thing. And it's more about this concept of you're not, you know, first and foremost, it's this novelty concept where, wow, I can go in and buy something that I wouldn't normally able to buy. Number two, it's the big time normalization, especially from a music festival standpoint, which is, you know, you can have straight edge people that normally wouldn't party, normally wouldn't necessarily let themselves go, but they do it once in a while at a music festival that they go to every year. Right. And so if that's the place where, you know, the normal, more straight edge Joe of the world says, I'm going to let loose a little bit. Right. Then what a beautiful way to introduce him to cannabis with a little bit more education and guidance and dosages. And um, rather than just say, Hey, eat this freaking brownie from some freaking, uh, you know, some wook that just came out of the corner and is going to give you a brownie versus like a bar, a bud tender that's going to say, Oh, you're new to Canada. I mean, I remember my parents shopping at the tree lounge, right. And my dad, you know, of course, not my favorite, but, you know, he gets the doses and he thinks it's the most beautiful, amazing thing because it doses him perfectly. Right. And it's like the novelty of it. Right. It normalized it for him. Yeah. And so in general, I think that's kind of the more power of it more than anything else. I think that's what's and again, obviously, I'm used to it. So I can say that But other people are like, well, I can just smoke some weed wherever I want. It's legal. Right. It's, you know, at the end of the day, sure you've got your lounge where you're supposed to be confined to, right? But the whole idea is, you know, just to be respectful about what you're doing to just like you're where you're smoking cigarettes or drinking alcohol. So anyway, on that side, and then on the concession side, yeah, I mean, that was the, the goal, right? Is to kind of turn around and be able to transact and have people come in and make purchases and get educated about the brand and go through that buying experience. Now, it's you got to look at it a little bit differently in the terms of like alcohol is a little bit more straightforward, right? It's a $2 pour and a $15 cup, the profit margins, everyone understands them. It's been happening forever versus cannabis where, you know, it's a different price point for a cart or an eighth or 
and the taxes and those margins are not necessarily there. So it's also been a big education to everybody in the industry to understand that pick your products carefully, right? Your margins are going to be higher on things like pre-rolls and beverages and things that classically you can have that type of margin. But outside of that, right, I, I don't foresee it, you know, people spending, you know, on those types of margins. If you think about a cart that's 50 bucks on the margins of alcohol, you're not going to go in and pay $350 or $500 or what that markup is for alcohol, right? So there is that piece of it. A lot of it's going to end up being, and it has been, is sponsorship is where the money is going to be on all of that placement branding as it always has been. That's the only thing I kind of make sure everybody is aware of that. I wouldn't jump in and say, I'm going to sell a bunch of weed at a music festival and get rich, right? Like you're going to set the tone. You're going to establish yourself and hopefully you're going to have the support from brands enough that want the presence at your event that'll actually make it such a big offering. And that's what we really saw was just the sponsorship vertical in all of our sponsorships ended up being over 50% of what we used to do. No, I'm glad you brought that up because I do think that's an interesting avenue just from what I've, again, understood from the music industry and just coming from an event background myself and obviously overlaying it with cannabis. I mean, people think it's hard to be on social media, right? But they don't really realize other areas where it might be taboo or not welcome for cannabis brands to sponsor. And so I think music festivals, just given everything that we've both kind of highlighted, obviously it kind of is like a no-brainer for cannabis and music to go together, but it's been so off limits for brands to even be able to sponsor music festivals. So from what I've understood, your event is really one of the only ones that's actually allowing it. Like I talked to someone from Coachella and they were saying that I guess they've had cannabis brands try to sponsor Coachella, but Coachella is like really anti it. So I think it still well, is publicly traded, right? And Got so it. that's the bit, that's the bottom line. And so like you Got know, it. outside lands, Northern Knights, we're still independent in that sense. So you can kind of right? make the decision to do we it. We can do what we need to do. Um, but Got you it. know, don't get that twisted either, right? Live Nation, AEG, right? They're right there. They know exactly what they're doing. They're definitely gonna be in the mix here. So they're waiting on it. <laughs> Well, I, mean, I wouldn't even know if they were waiting. I'd say there's definitely some action happening. So I would say um, by no means, you know, and this is not to discourage anybody, absolutely do your thing, but don't get it twisted as if like somehow they're not paying attention. Hello, just want to take a quick moment to thank my sponsor and full disclosure, my company, Restart CBD. Restart CBD is a brand that I built with my sister, so we are family-owned and women-owned. We do operate a brick-and-mortar in Austin, so if you ever find yourself in Central Texas, we'd love for you to come say hi. But we also ship nationwide, and we carry a wide range of CBD products. We really care about this plant. We really care about educating our customers. This show would not be possible without their support. So please go check us out at restartcbd.com and use code to be blunt for $5 off your next purchase. Thanks. And let's go back to the show. No, that's a fair point. It's definitely kind of like a quick story from our perspective. You know, we're in Austin, ACL, C3 puts them on Now Live Nation. We got a call from one of our partners. We are top CBD brand in town. We like to educate people like you highlighted. You know, it's not just, I'm going to sell my product at this festival. It's like, how do I kind of create this environment to educate people? So we got a call one day from one of our vendors. They're like, hey, we want to know if you can supply like X amount of CBD. We have a really big event coming up. And we're kind of like, you know, it's October. We know what October is. It's ACL. Like, what do you... And this is a couple of years ago before COVID. And they're like, 
we can't tell you what the event is. We don't know yet. And it ended up being ACL. So it was a company called Tiny Pies. They were making a CBD caramel sauce for one of their Texas two-step pies. And at the time, you didn't really see CBD vendors be able to go pop up and do vendorship in the markets and things like that. But these food companies were able to kind of, you know, start incorporating it into some of their products. And so that activation ended up being super popular for Tiny Pies, as well as a great experience for us to be a part of the festival without actually being a part of the festival. I think this year I saw some CBD vendors were able to pop up. So it's obviously evolving in that regard, but just kind of, you know, fodder for, you know, people listening and thinking of different interesting ways to kind of, you know, I don't want to say like capitalize, but just like lean into these new marketing opportunities, right? It's just, it's evolving and it's obviously taking people and individuals like yourself who are in positions to create that influence and kind of challenge that law and challenge the norm to be able to go like build the pathway for it to be so. So super great story. I want to transition a little bit into backbone now, just understanding obviously the power of technology when it comes to cannabis, I don't think is lost on the industry, especially when you realize so many of these larger brands obviously come from other successful industries. So technology integrations, you know, improving kind of the streamline of your flow, being able to leverage true data, like that's not new and it's not new to cannabis, but it is actually kind of new to cannabis because I do think you have a lot of people who want, from my experience, the integrations are far and few between. So it's kind of like a call to action for anybody who's in tech, like we need more technology in the cannabis industry, but two, just being able to go implement it and make it all function and work. So I'm curious kind of from your purview and the position that you're in and obviously just the influence that Backbone has had in the industry. I mean, you have an amazing roster of clients who've adopted your product. Kind of, you know, what is Backbone? How does it work from a high level perspective? And and what has Backbone done kind of prior to Backbone? What were people having to do that now Backbone helps clients navigate better? Yeah. I think the best way to reframe that in a sense is that it's not just that tech is new to cannabis, but it's also that cannabis is new to tech. Yes. And when I say that, and I'll kind of explain what I mean by that, is the big systems that are out there today for really large companies, the Oracles, the SAPs, right, that are out there, that's not a light endeavor, right? And I think that everybody's got to be a little bit careful when they start using the words ERPs and kind of throwing out and saying, oh, like, like an, an understanding of what that means from the very beginning, I think is kind of lost in people. People get lost in these acronyms of the different things that they supposedly need to operate. And I think there's just a lot of big lack of education in terms of actually what that means and what they do. And as you know, what happens is in the cannabis industry, there is a good portion of people, especially the operators and the boots on the ground that haven't come from other industries. They've been doing this for a long time. and They're good at what they do. They're great at their craft. But at the end of the day, they're going to be new to these types of systems. And these systems hasn't seen the cannabis plant. Every strain is different. Every harvest is different. Every appellation is different. Every genetic is different. And so at the end of the day, what we've really found is that the you cannot, it's a kind of like a a square peg in a round hole, right? Trying to go ahead and say, well, this works for other industries. It has to work for this industry. And I think we found that There's a lot of nuances and you needed the flexibility. And so when we kind of approached this, we really did take it. Luckily for us, our, you know, our development team, they could be doing a lot of different things right now, but they decided because of the culture 
And if you really look at it, like cannabis is actually almost like the anti-bro culture of tech, Silicon Valley and tech that it's been. And so I think what we found is a lot of people who were sick of the bro culture in tech really said this cannabis industry actually lends itself a little bit more to our ideals. And how do we kind of go ahead and take this on from a cultural standpoint? And I think that's been the most interesting approach. So we've got really strong folks from, you know, from NetSuite, from Sage, from Intuit, and kind of really strong enterprise developers who have been, you know, willing to come into kind of a team of us cannabis. I don't want to say floaters, but I want to say helpers, right? It's like some, there's what cannabis is needed is all the consultants and all the bookkeepers and all of the lawyers. And all of the folks who have just been trying to push this industry along and helping all of those people who didn't really have the tools. And so kind of a group of cannabis consultants and a group of very enterprise technologists have been working on how do we take the best pieces of, you know, a lot of ERP and MRP systems that are out there. And one of the classic faults of those things is that they're not operator friendly. You're not going to get your night shift. I would say the graveyard shift. Can you get the graveyard shift? to buy in to using that. And at the end of the day, what are we talking about is live data capture, right? Like the most, to get visibility into whatever you're doing and all the fancy terms that everybody want to use around automation and et cetera, it's at the end of the day, how much data about what's happening in real time is available. And in order to do that, you're going to have to get buy-in from the graveyard shift to say, I get this enough that I'm going to buy into it, that I'm going to actually make this part of my workflow rather than a hassle that I have to kind of do separately. And I think that's been the approach that we took in this first and foremost was boots on the ground, right? And I think if you understand, if you've seen the cannabis industry, that's where people get the most upset is people who don't respect the boots on the ground and the people who've been doing this for so long. And so I think that is, you know, I, we were lucky enough that we were in the Emerald Triangle and folks around us were willing to kind of, you know, say, hey, I'm an operator, Peter, I'll show you, you know, shout out, you know, Nat uh, over at the Madrone team, Mac, and a lot of those folks who said, guys, we'll let you into our kind of world here, right, and understand it. And we'll kind of show you the ropes of all of this. And at the end of the day, it's like to be able to turn around and say, okay, now I get how the supply chain is working. I see where the bottlenecks are going to be. Why you, you've never had a, uh, you know, it's been farm to club forever, right? There was never a, a processing and a manufacturing and a distro license, right? Like none of that existed. So that's where we said that's going to be the bottleneck. That's actually where a lot of the branding, co-packing, and brands are going to be, right? And that's where the money's going to end up being. And so we really, that was our thesis was that retail is going to be a race to the bottom. Cultivation is going to be a race to a commodity. And that middle piece where kind of all the actions happening on both those sides will be where the margins will be. People can argue each left, right, and either way that you want to. I think regardless of the margins, I think the most interesting problems have started to show themselves in the middle of the supply chain. And that's where we really focused on. So that's kind of the, the whole goal here was to say, how do we get, put a tool in the hands of the operator where they're going to say, oh, this is an invitation for me to input data, but I like it because it feels like me, it smells like me, it tastes like me, it looks like me. And so that was really the name of the game was that's the approach we've had. And so we've done this for, we've been around for about four years right now. People think we're new. It was just more that we weren't really pounding our chests about things. We were just building things and word of mouth, which is always the strongest thing in cannabis. It always has been. 
And um, now we're fortunate enough that we've made it this far. A lot of companies don't. Very lucky that we have. And, you know, we always continue to keep this kind of idea at our at backbone that's like, how are you going to try and, you know, unite cannabis and tech culture externally if you can't do it internally first? And I think we're still right today, like, you know, what do they say? Eating your own dog food, I think somebody said the other day, or drinking your own champagne, whatever the word is, is like... Smoking your own blunt. Smoking your own blunt, right? Um, All of that. And so I think we're still doing that. We're still walking. We're still getting through that right now. And it's a cool, it's it's a very interesting thing. Every single operator in cannabis across the world right now has got a different take on what they do. I don't want to spoil the boat here, but people are, a lot of people are doing the same exact thing. They just call it different things and do it in different ways. So give them credit where it's due. And most importantly, I think people are just looking for best practices, right? I mean, that's the end of the day. And I heard what you said about integrations, right? And I hear the integrations. I know nobody wants double entry. Nobody wants more work. However, I'm starting to see a pattern right now where, yes, everyone wants all the integrations to work. But at the end of the day, I'm finding that a lot of these investors and executives, actually what they're asking for is to say, look, You've worked with hundreds of companies across the world now in cannabis. Like, can you just get my team of stoners the best practices template and like, you just get them to like, just the basics, please. Right. And I feel like that's kind of where we've slowed down a little bit and try to don't get too complicated. Right. It's very easy for us to try to solve all of the bookend pieces, all of the variations that are going to take into account. And at the end of the day, if you spend too much time thinking about the, 5%, right? You missed the 95%, which was just get them going. Yeah, that's a really fair point. I think you really spoke to me when you talked about obviously tech culture, which is very unique and specific to kind of this bro culture kind of environment. And it doesn't obviously translate into cannabis. And furthermore, you know, you do have this almost clash, but I think it can have some moments of overlap and embrace between the enterprise, right? And then the actual like boots on the ground, like you were defining. And obviously the boots on the ground is what created and established this industry. But to neglect that the enterprise is also, you know, being a part or not being a part is not smart either. So it's just, you know, trying to navigate and kind of figure out and find what are the right tools that fit slash work for me in the unique position that I'm in, in the industry, whether I'm kind of like you highlighted, maybe just a retailer versus I want to cultivate. Maybe I want to cultivate, you know, three acres versus 300 acres. Those are, you know, different levels of scale. And I think for people, not that every enterprise, you know, to kind of say was always, you know, it always started from one seed and then it grew, but like, that's kind of the idea, right? Like I believe anybody can be successful and reach these different levels of success, but Coming from a technological background, I always really believe in like, how are you building your house? How are you building your ship? Like, what is the foundation for which you are building this business? Maybe again, you aren't 300 acres right now, we're 300 stores or, you know, international or even a multi-state operator, but could you be? And so how you build your setup today definitely is something for consideration of maybe where you want to be three, five, 10 years from now, especially as the industry continues to grow and change. So I wanted to pull something from your website that I saw just, you know, obviously we're a marketing branding podcast and you had a quote from Burner Cookies. It said, Backbone is our brand playbook. We have so many moving parts and Backbone helps us keep track of what's happening and what we need to do next. And you kind of mentioned it when you were discussing, obviously the supply chain and the different facets of it. I'm curious from your, you know, 
perspective, how Backbone does actually help enable the brand at the end of the day to, to do what the brand does best, right? I mean, some states are vertically integrated required, some are not. So there's definitely these different levels of what you're actually involved with in the supply chain. But knowing that, you know, branding is definitely on the heart of myself and of most of my listeners is just, you know, I'm curious to kind of dive into that thought a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, like, you know, obviously ag tech, supply chain, ESG are all very strong buzzwords these days. And luckily for us, we're kind of sitting right in the middle of all of that. And at the end of the day, right, if you look at, it's kind of interesting. So first and foremost, right, you've got, you know, cannabis is one of, so for everyone to understand, like, recording and reporting to the government every day on what you've done is the most restrictive and most difficult thing that's out there. Nobody makes you do that. But because you're doing that, right, that means there's a lot more data available because you're required to do it. Right. And so that means there it is. And so with that data being available, what it starts to say for a brand is one of the hardest things for a brand is to say, okay, I'm going to put a bunch of money into this. I'm going to get a manufacturer and a grower and I'm going to have them kind of help me create these products. Well, you're going to put a bunch of money up and what visibility are you going to get in terms of how things are going, right? Usually, you know, in the past, maybe a monthly report that you're going to say, and they're going to write you an email, everything's going great. We've done this many products, et cetera. So that's great to kind of start out. But as you start to scale, the biggest things that you see is just a lack of kind of visibility of you as the brand being able to say, how are my costs of production doing, right? Why am I waiting at the end of the month to find out that my costs went up because you guys bought a new piece of equipment, right? Like those, that's the type of information that's going to affect my bottom line. And so cannabis as well, because of its federal illegal and everyone's in their own kind of pod by state, what that does is that it actually makes for what's happening across the world from a distributed supply chain where you can't, you don't have to own every building and put a get raised hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars to buy everything. You can be what, you know, we really were headed is this asset light, right? Where you say, no, I'm going to get a grower with the capacity that I need that it, with the genetics that I need a, you know, processor that's going to do it the way that I want to do it, whether you're in a solvent list or whatever you're into and hone on their craft. And be able to kind of, with a minimal effort as much as possible, be able to get some insight into how things are going across your supply chain and across your brand without having to, you know, essentially buy everything to enforce it. And so I think that's the name of the game is like that relationship between the brand and their suppliers. That's where this all kind of stems from is what is that relationship like? How transparent is it? How much information is getting back and forth to each other? And so for us, that kind of lighter weight, being able to say, hey, if, I, if you share your production data with me, well, what, I'll give you insight into how things are selling and when you're going to get paid, right? That seems like a pretty normal transaction to say, oh, that's fair. Like, I'll give you more info and you'll give me more info. But you can imagine that's not necessarily like, like so obvious to everybody else. So I think that's, I think that's a big message is to say that you do not this day and age, if you look at the rest of industries, you look at Apple, they can on a on a dime if they want to switch who's doing all of their manufacturing, they'll just find out someone else with the same capacity, put up their SOPs and move to the next, right? They don't need to buy the facilities, they just need to buy the capacity. And I think that's kind of where 
that's that's the big thing that we're seeing. And cannabis is just almost uh, emphasizing that distributed asset light supply chains is where this world is going. And cannabis is providing the opportunity for tech companies, for for operators and for everybody to stand up and say that, you know what, this is an opportunity to do things a little bit different. We do not have to follow the way other industries have gone. And so fuck that. We're going to do things a little bit differently. We're going to do it our way. I think that's so smart and on the money. Obviously, I think, you know, even just speaking from my own experience in the, you know, fractions that I've been involved in the industry here in Texas, you know, we don't know what we don't know. And so sometimes you're, you kind of get into it again. Like I was saying, like people have the green in their eyes and like, oh, cannabis is, you know, taking off. I want to be part of this industry, but don't really understand how to navigate it necessarily and what are the different components for being able to be smart about the investment that they're making. And sometimes I do think that the industry gets a little bit of a bad reputation in terms of like this massive overhead of feeling yep. like you have to invest so much to be a part of it. And I do think that's a little bit of a fault to the industry to the extent too of like regulations vary state to state and even municipality to municipality. So there are different requirements. So I don't want to shy away and kind of make people think like, oh, it's, you know, anything you want to dream up, you can go do. Definitely check what your state regulations and compliance requirements are before you get in the industry or take the next step per se. But obviously being able to leverage technology like Backbone and just have that understanding of when you are able to adopt technology, it can ultimately empower you to be planful, to be mindful of where you are investing and where you could maybe be making more margin or just obviously providing you that inside of like, hey, everything's working great, you know, continue on what you're doing. So it's it's empowering. It doesn't always have to be a fire alarm, right? Exactly. That's the biggest thing though. And I think in any emerging industry, everything is always a fire alarm. Like there's, that's not going well. And I have to do 10,000 million things differently. And at the end of the day, like, where's your baseline? Like, have you given your baseline? And like, we see this on the ESG front as well. Like, I know I mentioned that before, but like you think about supply chain, you think about the vendors that you work with, you think about the vendors that they work with, right? And so we're also kind of working with a company called Regenibus, very, very progressive team, and really just focusing also using cannabis as an opportunity to kind of spread the message about ESG and kind of environmental, social, and governance. And How are we actually like looking at ourselves as a culture and how are we as employers and companies, you know, how are we not just giving lip service to all of this? Because at the end of the day, what's your score? Right. Do you have like, have you done a baseline? I think that's the biggest thing of all, which is it's so hard to do. And even as backbone itself, we're always trying to tell ourselves the same thing. It's like, have we given ourselves a baseline? But do your baseline, right? Whether it is technology, whether it's a consultant, whether it's somebody, give yourself the opportunity to breathe and give yourself a little bit of time to run through an analysis. It's going to give you a baseline. Start there. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed talking to Peter. I definitely feel a little bit of a connection coming from music and technology from my background as well. And trying to make sense of that as it relates to cannabis sometimes can feel overwhelming, but as Peter outlined and highlighted and shared his experience, it's possible, right? And I think that for me is always what I want this podcast to remind you of, to inspire you, to encourage you is that anything really is possible. There might be challenges in your way. You might have to take a side door, a back door, you know, take a pause for a moment, regroup before you get back to it. But ultimately realizing that 
really anything that we want to accomplish in this industry is possible, but the way that you go about doing it is so critical. So whether it comes to creating these experiential opportunities for your brand, whether it is trying to influence and change policy for your state or city, or trying to help people understand the data that exists in their business so that they can make better decisions. Kind of for me, the takeaway, what really resonated was just Peter's belief in going to the community, kind of going to the people who are a part of it and trying to work with them directly to make products, to make change, to do something that is ultimately going to benefit the people of the industry, the people who are consuming the businesses and ultimately our customers. Because at the end of the day, we're all in business to sell a consumer packaged good, to sell a product, to create an experience for a consumer. And so, yeah, that was just something that really resonated with me. I'd love to hear what resonated with you, whether you went to MJ BizCon, whether we got to meet IRL at the show, whether you heard something from someone, or if this episode spoke to you, gave you some aha moment, please reach out, connect Instagram, LinkedIn, just search for Shada Tarabi. You'll find me and I'd love to continue the dialogue. But until then, thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of the To Be Blunt podcast. I'll be back next Monday with another episode and I appreciate y'all so much. Now I'm going to go take a long fat nap. Bye-bye. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash to be blunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi.com.